praise your name. I'm going to ask you if you would to just turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 48 and verse 13. We're going to read there for just a little bit. Um, we started something last week and I wrestled whether or not I need to proceed along that line some this morning and, and then I left some papers out there in my office so I decided we're not going there today. <laughs> but I'm going to share with you from, from uh, the things that I, I do have here. Um, We started talking last week about bearing the name of the Lord and the names that, by which God revealed himself. So let's start with Psalm chapter 148 and verse 13. I'm sorry, did, what did I tell you earlier? 148. Surprise, surprise. Where's Psalms at? <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> right in the middle. Just open it in the middle and you should be there. This passage starts out and says in verse 13, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name is great. His name is excellent. His glory towers over the, the earth and heaven. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so you're going to have it differently in some of your Bibles when I went back and read this scripture, speaking of the name of the Lord, it says his name is great, it's excellent, and it towers, it, its glory towers over the, the earth and heaven. Um, when you go back and look at this passage, it starts out and it talks about how glorious the Lord is in creation. It speaks about the heavens and the stars and all the things that are out there. It speaks about things that from the, the, the psalmist writing this thing, they had no understanding of the heavens the way, the way that we have an understanding of the heavens. They didn't have the telescopes to, to penetrate the night sky. They had never left the earth and gone to the moon. All that they saw was just the starry sky from standing on the earth and from lying on their roofs at night and looking at the skies. And in an amazing way, you, you find out uh, even in Daniel's day, that they had an amazing understanding of the positions of the stars and things like that in the sky. And they could tell when, when stars or planets or things like that weren't in the sky the way they were normally in the sky. And so that's the reason why the Magi were able to recognize that there was something else going on when there was a star that appeared relative to, to Bethlehem. Uh, they had an understanding of the, where things were in the sky. We may just take that for grant now, granted now. We may be like, well, there's the Big Dipper, or there's the, morning, the, the North Star, or there's the, the Morning Star. Uh, we can recognize some of those things, but we don't really, you know, we've got television. So we don't sit outside under the stars and look at the starry, starry night. Uh, we're probably less familiar with what the night sky looks like than they would have been. Because we, we have other things to, we turn on lights when God turns the lights off. But it starts out here, and it, it talks about God in reference to the heavens and all the things that he put out there in creation. And then it comes back and it talks about the, the creatures and the things that pertain to the earth. And it talks, it says, praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures, in verse 7, of the ocean depths. Fire and hail and snow and clouds, wind and the weather that obey him, the mountains and the hills the fruit trees. He talks about, it talks about all the things that pertain to the earth. And then he comes down to verse 13 after saying all those things. And he says, let them all, heavens and earth, praise the name of the Lord. Let every living thing, let everything that's been created praise the name of the Lord. And whether, as we do, we have the ability to voice our praise and we have the ability to, to verbalize what's in our hearts and things like that, which a lot of things out there don't. But even the fact that there are trees and even the fact that they bring forth fruit and even the fact that there are splendorous mountains and even the fact that there are stars and planets up in the heavens, they all testify about the glory of the Lord. They bring glory to His name. And so just springboarding from that about all of these things being, bringing praise to the name of the Lord says, for his name is great. His name is glorious. 
His name is excellent. In the scripture, God chose to reveal himself by his name. Because as we see all the nations of the earth, and I'm recapping just a little bit, but around the nations of the world, there are peoples who have found uh, desire, something inside of them that was driving them to worship something. They had an innate uh, um, passion or sense of purpose that they needed to worship something. And so with limited understanding, with limited knowledge, they just found something, a tree, the, the moon, the stars. They worshiped the sun. They worshiped creatures and different kinds of things. They worshiped something because there's something inside a man that says that you need to worship something. But we've, we've heard here before and, and found out that without a revelation of God, there's no real knowing God. The only reason why we can know God is because he chose to reveal himself. He made himself known. In the Garden of Eden, it says that God would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. Can you imagine what that's like? Yeah. Well, let me just tell you, we can know. It may not be that, that maybe a physical presence or something like that, but we, Kelly, you've experienced the presence of the Lord. You feel him move with you. You feel him speak to your heart. We know what it's like to have an experience with the Almighty. You know, I love, I love life, and I love my family, and I love the experiences that we hear on the earth. But when I think about being in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever, I don't know what we're going to be doing, Randy. What do you do up there? Randy asked me. What are we, I don't know what we're going to do all the time up there, but I know it's going to be awesome. I don't want to miss out on a moment. I want to be there. It says, the name of the Lord is great. And there's a list that I've got in my office of that same list of 18 pages that I had last week and never got to get to. What is that? Last week I spoke about him being Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. Because God spoke about, they spoke about the temple of the Lord as it being a place that stood out that the people would say, the Lord is there. The presence of the Lord is there. And it was holy because he was there. And because the Lord was there in the temple, all of Jerusalem could be referred to as the place where the Lord is there. The Lord's there in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem became a holy city set apart to the Lord. And then we've got this promise I touched on last week where Scripture says that he's making a new Jerusalem. There, there's a new kind of Jerusalem. And I want to just go there again and say there's a new kind of temple too. Folks, we've become the temple, the sanctuary, the holy place of the Most High God. And people should be able to look at our lives and say, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. When they come in contact with us, do they get a sense of the presence of the Lord? Is that the lingering remembrance they have of an encounter with the Lord with us, or do they get a, have a lingering remembrance of David? I don't want them to remember David. I want them to have an experience with the Lord. Do they get a lingering remembrance of a word inappropriately spoken or a reaction in our attitudes or our actions? Do they, can they look at our lives and say, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. That's what God desires. And there's a whole new Jerusalem concept to that about this dwelling place of the Most High God. We know there's a, we talked about the layered fulfillments of the kingdom of God, that there's still a kingdom of darkness at work, but the kingdom of God is alive and well. But there's going to be a day when there's a full manifestation of the kingdom of God when all things will be brought under one head, when heaven and earth, everything that exists will bow their knee to the name of Jesus. Everything that has a name will have to recognize his lordship. And there's a, a new Jerusalem concept right there. But the reality is right now we have become the dwelling place of the Most High. And we are. And God's intention is that people are able to say, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is with them. The Lord is there. That's his desire. There's another scripture that's been on my mind this week, and, and I'm, I'm going to step back just a little bit before I go there, but we're going to be turning to Exodus. I promise, Ralph, we're going to Exodus. Exodus. 
But God reveals himself through his name, and his name reveals his nature. There's an interesting passage over in uh, Chronicles, I think it's 1 Chronicles, where David's been out with his men. They're weary and tired. They've been hiding away from their enemies. This is before he's been made king. And uh, I'm sorry, maybe after he was king, but he, I believe he was king. Anyhow, but he, desperate to be able to get some food and some provision for his family, they, he sends a troop of, of guys to go talk to a guy by the name of Nabal. And Nabal is a wealthy guy, but he's an ornery guy. And when these guys, they're, they're fleecing the sheep, and when these guys approach Nabal and say, look, may God bless you. We, you David sends blessings over your household. May God abundantly prosper you. And he said, we know this is a time of celebration with your people because you're fleecing the sheep. They're bringing in everything that they've, all the shepherds, everything they've worked for for that year to be able to grow wool on the sheep and they're bringing in that harvest so they're celebrating it's a celebratory time and these men come and say look we've not in any way harmed your people out in the field and we haven't stole anything from your shepherds you know we've respected your property would you be willing to to also bring some provision to us provide some food for us and 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 something for us to drink and things like that and Nabal basically curses them and 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 calls and criticizes David and, and uh, you know, doesn't have very kind things to say. Let's put it like that. And sends the men away. And David arms himself. I mean, he takes some people and says, all right. Not one man in his household is going to survive. And David's going to lay a waste. Boom. He goes out there. And before he gets there, Nabal's wife has heard about what's happened. One of the servants tells yeah, Abigail. Uh, Nabal's wife has heard... And uh, she goes and meets David, and she's got loaves of food and got wine, and she's got uh, date cakes and, and all kinds of things. She goes out and meets him, and she says, she says to David basically this. She said, she said, my husband Nabal is just like his name, which his name meant fool. His name meant fool. She said, my husband is just like his name. And uh, anyhow, I, I went through that whole story just to let you know that a lot of times in the Bible, people's names reflect their character. And uh, I mean, there's a whole lot more that we could do. But I thought that was a curious one to, to bring up and to mention. But uh, speaking of Nabal, he was a, a fool. And then, of course, David, because she spoke wisely, Abigail spoke wisely to David, and uh, help to calm his anger and let him know, don't let your, your hand be stained with, with innocent blood. You know, don't, don't kill all these people. Don't, don't do all this and just take this provision and, and you be blessed. David honored and respected what she did and didn't go. And, but when Nabal, who had been celebrating and feasting, had been drunk overnight, so she didn't say anything the next morning when he was sober and she spoke something to him, said that his heart died within him. Uh, there's speculation of whether or, not he, whether or not he had a heart attack or whether he had a stroke. But I believe he lived for another 10 days, and then he just died. But that was the end of Nabal. And the rest of the story is that David ended up marrying Abigail because he considered her a wise woman. We won't get into all those details. But a lot of times in Scripture, it is intentional that the way that the story is being told is their name spoke of their nature and their character and things about their life. And God reveals him that's, that way too. So now let's go over to, uh, over to Exodus. And I've got it marked here. We're going to Exodus chapter 17. There's a little story here. About the Israelites, they had had their, they, they are, have left Egypt, they're out there in the desert, and they come under the attack from Malachite, the, the Amalekites, verse 8. So while the people of Israel were still in Rephidim, I'm trying to say that, Rephidim, yeah, the warriors of, the Amalek, of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men from out of the, to, to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. He said, Meanwhile, Moses and Aaron and Hur climbed to the top of the hill. Also, I mean, sorry, 
As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold him up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. And then they stood on each, of Moses, on each side of Moses holding his hands. So his hands st- held steady until sunset. It says, as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek. Verse 14, after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under the earth. Wow, what a judgment. That, that group that had come against it, God said, I'm going to erase their memory from under the heaven. Moses built an altar there. And named it Yahweh Nisi, the name of the Lord there, Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. Now, I just, you know, we understand what a banner is. We've got banners in here that are a display of names of the Lord and things like that. We know that when armies would go out in battle, it was very common for them to have a standard or a banner that they would carry before them. The Romans did that so that you could tell which troop this was out there fighting and it was a, a thing of honor to be the, the standard bearer for that troop. Um, and you didn't want that people would give their lives to keep that standard from falling to the ground. Even in our own nation, there were are battles that, that used to be fought where our flag was carried out and the, the flag of uh, a Britain or something like that, they were carrying their flag and, and it was a, a, something of honor not to allow that flag to fall to the ground. People would sacrifice life and limb to make sure that the standard didn't fall. And here we've got Moses, not with a flag or anything like that, but what is it that he's holding up? A staff. What's significant about a staff? It's a long stick. Let's go back and look at the history of that staff. It's just a stick. It's a stick. But it's a stick with significance. It was when God appeared to Moses out there at that burning bush. And God spoke to him out of that bush, and Moses, with all of his fear and trepidation, but God, I'm not someone that can speak plainly, and who am I? I mean, literally, God was taking someone who had been a murderer and had fled Egypt and was sending him back into the perpetual lion's den. He was making him go stand before the very people that could judge him, take his life, put him in jail. The people who hated him and despised him, They didn't want a savior to come and set the people of of Israel free from their slavery and their bondage. And not only is he being sent into that place to set these people free, you know the Egyptians were going to resist that. But God's sending someone who murdered an Egyptian back to do that, an unlikely person. He didn't have a shiny character. He didn't have, you know, it wasn't without blemish, but God was sending him in. And in all the midst of that question is, really me, God? Are you sure? I don't think I can speak well. I'm not a good person to go. Isn't there somebody else that could go? God says, throw your staff down on the ground. It's just a stick. It's just a stick. It's just a little thing. It's just, you know, God, it's just something I picked up on the side of the road one day. I was going, I saw this thing and I needed something to walk with. So I just happened to pick up this stick. I don't know if that's how flippantly it was done. But anyway, it's just a stick. But God said, take what you have and throw it on the ground. And all of a sudden, that simple thing had a supernatural encounter. (laughs) And it became a device that God could use to speak before kings. And Moses is shocked by seeing this, this staff turn into a serpent. It starts wiggling around on the ground and doing whatever serpents do. And what are you supposed to do? I mean, chop off its head, what do you do? And God says, no, pick it up. You know, where do you grab the thing? Pick it up by the tail, Moses, come on. So he picks up that stick, and I mean, the, the serpent, and when he picks up, the, it turns back into a staff. It's just a stick. Go back a little bit later, and God tells him to take that same stick with a supernatural encounter, so it's become a a device that God could use to do supernatural things. And God takes him before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh 
he cast that stick down on the floor to give a testimony that God was really involved in this encounter, this declaration before Pharaoh. And what ended up happening? Well, in that place, that stick fall, turns into a serpent again and starts wiggling around on the floor and doing snake-like things. And all of a sudden, all those other uh, magicians from Egypt like, oh, that, we, we got that one. And so they cast their staffs down. And what happens? They turn into snakes too. So what do you do when the enemy throws his best and it looks just like your best? God's in control. What happens? Serpent, uh, uh, Moses' staff starts going around and gobbling up all the, 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 the magician's staffs. And so his staff consumes all of their staffs and shows that his God is greater than their God. And then he picks up his stick and, and leaves the presence of the place with a lasting testimony in their hearts of the supernatural power of the Almighty. A little bit later, Moses, after Pharaoh finally recanted and decided to let the children of Israel go after much cal calamity coming to the, to the Egyptians, it was at that place where now the, the people of Israel are saying, why did you bring us out here? Don't you see the chariots coming? They're going to come slaughter us and take us back into slavery. And we're standing out here with this huge barrier in front of the children of Israel how are we going to cross this place? You brought us to our death. Why did you do this to us? And everybody's against Moses, and everything is falling away. And like, Moses, what am I supposed to, God, what am I supposed to do? And Moses, I mean, he, you know, it looks like a grand thing, except for the fact now the very people that he's rescued have turned against him, and he's up against a wall called the Red Sea. What do you do? And, and God says, remember that stick, that thing that I used with you those times before that has shown supernatural power not in itself but through the hand of God why don't you take that thing and and touch that water raise that thing up over that water and just see what I can do and when he does it something that had never happened in the earth before happened and God opened the Red Sea I told you last week it didn't work for me at Lake Wilson right but it did for Moses and the Red Sea stayed apart, and there was not only a miraculous deliverance, there was a miraculous judgment that came against those that were pursuing them. It was just a stick. We came to another place a little bit down the road, and they're out there. They have come out into the desert. They're not far, too far along, and all of a sudden, these people start grumbling and complaining again. They don't have water. Did you bring us out here to die? Our children and our families and our livestock? We're out here in the desert now. You're supposed to be taking care of us. What's going on? So Moses goes before God and God says, take that stick and strike this rock. And so he strikes the rock. And all of a sudden, folks, it's easy to picture a trickle of water to come out of the thing. It's easy to see a little stream come out. But there had to be enough provision for, we don't know the exact number, it had to be over around, at least around or more than a million people. How do you have that much water? I don't think Toisonot down here, you know, could sustain that many people. There's not enough water coming into it to do that. But that's a, it, was a, it wasn't just a trickle. It wasn't a water fountain that God opened up. It was a supernatural thing. And again, God used a stick. It may look like a stick to you, but it's not just a stick in the hand of God. A little bit later, you go along, and here's the same Moses and the same scenario. The people are upset, and, and they need water. And Moses is so angry that he takes that stick and what did he do? He struck the rock again. God said, speak to the rock. And he takes his stick and strikes the rock. Why? Because he's angry. Don't ever take the things that God has given you and use it for your own purposes. When God anoints something, consider it a holy thing. In the passage we read just a little bit ago, the children of Israel are still out there in that same, same desert, that same waste place. They haven't come into the possession of the things that God had told them that they would possess yet. They're still walking the journey, making up their mind as to whether they're really going to follow God or not. They're really going to pursue into the promise. 
And in that place, they are attacked by the Amalekites. They had their own kind of storm that came against them. Their storm happened to be a people that were determined for their destruction. It wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't a sweet little Bible story. It was people with swords and spears. The blood was red. It hurt. They killed. And here they're being attacked. And Moses um, sends Joshua to go, but, 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 uh, to go and fight against, uh, go fight against them to deliver the children of Israel from these Amalekites that were coming against them. But Moses goes up on the mountain because God instructed him, instructed him to hold up that staff. And so he's holding up the staff. And isn't it just, you would think that God would allow him to just hold up the staff and it would just bring the victory. It would just be sufficient to be up there and make the presentation. Why is it that God made that staff to stay up in the air the whole time? Moses is doing his best. I mean, he was not a young man. He was probably close to 80 at this time. But he's up there and uh, he's holding up the staff and... uh, his arms grow tired. I mean, he's, he's human. We're human. There's, there's times when you're doing your best, but you're human. And his arms grow weary. So after a while, he's like, I just need a break for just a little bit. I just, I just need to me catch my breath. Let my arms, you know, your arms get tired from doing things like that. Let me just let my arms down for a little bit. And when he lets his arms down, all of a sudden, the Amalekites start prevailing against the children of Israel. Let me put my arms back up. Okay, okay. Joshua starts beating them back again. And after a while, those arms just get weary. You know, I remember being in British school, and, and one of the things that, that one of the teachers told one of the boys one day, now they were, they were rough, okay? Teachers were tough in British school. And one of the things they told a the guy, I said, look, I will either give you, I think he told him he'd give him five licks with the cane, or you can hold a dictionary in front of yourself for 10 minutes. I think it was 10 minutes. And so the guy chose the dictionary. And so he had to put his arms out straight like this and just put a dictionary on his hands. And after a while, you know, the hands, he said, no, get them up, get them. You know, if you let it drop, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cane you. And that boy, it was amazing how hard it was to hold that dictionary up just sitting still like that for a long period of time. But Moses was in a position where he was having to hold a staff up in order for the Israelites to have victory. And after a while, we know how the story goes. But this enduring testimony of the Lord's goodness was being held up over the children of Israel. And because it was being held up over the children of Israel, God did a supernatural thing for them and delivered them from the hand of the Malachites. We know that as he got weary, that Joshua and Hur had to come along and they brought a rock so that he could sit down on the rock. And then they stood beside him and held up his arms so that his arms wouldn't wouldn't fail and wouldn't go down so the victory would continue. And it continued all the way to sunset and God brought a victory over the Malachites and then God turned around and what was done as far as the victory, God decided to do in throughout eternity and he said he was going to wipe the name of the Amalekites out. But I just want to go back to you on, on one thing. And I want you to, 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 to deep, dig deep inside of yourself and just tell you, there have been places through the years, if you've been serving God, if you've been walking with God, if you're just beginning, there have been experiences that God has given you in his presence that are your staff. It may be a place that you remember. It may be a word that God spoke into your heart. But what was just a word or was just a a place or may have been an experience, that's been impregnated with supernatural power. And for you and for your life, it's an enduring testimony. It is a place that you can run to when you need water from the rock. It's a place where you can run to when the enemy comes in like a flood. It's a place where you can run to and draw strength off because it's something that God gave you that's yours alone. It's the sling that David had beside his hand. He had tried it once and it worked and he tried it again and it worked again and he knew when the giant came, he could take the sling up against the giant. He knew it would work because God had showed him there. There's things that God has spoken into each of our lives and experiences that God has given each of us. Mark, there's things that God has done in your life that no one can take away from you, that you know that God showed you there when the bullets fell on the ground and you were still standing. You know that that's something, that's a supernatural experience that God gave you. No one can take away from you. No one can tell you that that didn't happen. You know it happened. 
It's a milestone. I'm going to tell you something else. It's an enduring testimony for the Lord. That, in a sense, has become a Jehovah Nissi for you, the Lord our banner. In your life, that is the testimony that's raised up that people can see. The banner for Moses was a staff. What is your banner? What's God done for you? The enduring testimony that brings deliverance from the enemy. The enduring testimony that assures you of the provision of the Lord even when you're going through a hard time. What is it for you that, that you have as a testimony that God's given you? We all have those places. The scripture talks about the name of the Lord being reverenced, the name of the Lord being blessed, the name of the Lord being exalted. And uh, let's, let's, go, let's go over to, I'm going to read it out of the, the New King James Version. I just really like the way it said here. But in Isaiah chapter 59, The scripture says, and I wasn't premeditating this based on where we are today, but we are here. It says it, I like the way it says it in the New King James Version best. It says, so they shall fear or reverence the name of the Lord from, from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And this really relevant for us today said, when the enemy comes in like a flood. When the enemy comes in like a fl flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard, a banner against him. What's interesting about this passage, and folks, I don't know, anybody see the little video out there, you know, about the people breaking into the Dollar General or the, or the Family Dollar or something like that and taking things out? I tell you what. They're just showing people that have gotten desperate and are taking advantage of the situation, but the doors have been ripped open and people are going there and coming out there with handfuls of stuff and bags of stuff and the, the store's just in turmoil on the inside with things tossed all over the place and shells torn down and people are, are grabbing things. Uh, it's, um, okay, it is wrong, okay? It's wrong. People should not be doing that. Uh, I also know that people get desperate and I'm, I'm not making an excuse for being desperate. But there was a gutsy little reporter standing in the middle of it with the microphone. And her cameraman was standing there with her. And she's standing there going in there talking about what's going on and going right up to people who are stealing things. And their face is going on camera. And they're covering up trying to hide what they're doing. And she left that front door because people abandoned the front door. And she's looking at the people standing out across the street. And they're all they're waiting for an opportunity to come across the street. But she's standing there, you know holding everybody accountable and then she goes around to the back of the store and there's people that are there that are still getting stuff out of the back of the store she goes where they are there and then she comes back around and there was some kind of emergency services vehicle that went by i don't exactly know but she's still standing there with the camera and the it's interesting that camera and that microphone were holding was holding everybody accountable and i didn't have the time to go back and and, and uh, uh watch the whole thing but i thought well she's a a, a, a gutsy young lady to be standing out there because you know those people didn't want their faces on tv and i'll just tell you this folks There are times when people get desperate, but I've been talking to you about, about something that is a very real thing in our nation, and as the body of Christ needs to be aware of it, we're standard bearers, okay? We are supposed to be letting people know that there is a difference between light and darkness. We are supposed to be letting people know that there is a right and a wrong. We're supposed to be an example, not just talking about it, but we're supposed to be an example of morality, if the church doesn't do it right, if the people of God don't do it right, how do we expect the world to do it right? But we excuse ourselves a whole lot. You know, I just said, if the church does not do it right, and I feel like I need to come back and make a distinction between what the church is. Because there's a whole lot done in the name of the church that has nothing to do with God. There's a, I'm going to say that again. There's a whole lot that's done in the name of the church that has nothing to do, do with God. One thing that they talked to us about when 
when uh, I was in Bible school that stuck in my mind was they talked about the, uh, about the, the global church, and then they talked about the, uh, I can't remember the term right now, but they talked about there's a, basically there is a church around the world that, that has the name of the church, but a lot of those churches under name are not even having anything to do with a, a relationship with God. But the true church is a term they used to define it. The true church is a people that really have a heart after God, that they really have a relationship with God. It's not just a religious shell. It's an, an experience and an encounter and an, it's a life. It's a devotion and a dedication. When I was mid-twenties, I've had this type of encounter a few times. I've been blessed with it. I remember one time my dad ran over a lion's tail. It was a lioness. She didn't appreciate it. We were in her territory, in a game park, in a car, and this lioness appreciated the shade. So she just came over and lay down right there beside the car. Well, that was cute. It was nice, but after a while, we got to go, and she wouldn't move. So dad, you know, he cranked the, it was an old diesel, cranked the car, and she just stayed right there. So he blew the horn. She stayed right there. And after a while, he was revving the engine, trying to get her moved. She wouldn't go. So finally he said, we got to go. So he started rolling that car forward just a little bit. I don't know if we pinched her tail or what, but I know that, that lioness came up out of there with a, with a growl, like the, scared us all, and she got up and moved. And there, there was a whole other time when we were in the Maasai Mara over in Kenya, and there was a male and female lioness over there under some trees, and we pulled up in our minivan, probably interrupting their honeymoon. And they were underneath the, the trees over there, separate from one another, and the most beautiful scene that I've ever seen of a lion, because this male lion was lying there, like a picture with his paw. Did everybody just get an update or something like that? He goes, several phones that chimed. Anyhow, he's lying there with his, his big head lying on his paws like this. His, his other legs were sideways to us like this. We were over there, kind of like where Audrey and, Audrey and Freddie are. And uh, he sitting there, and his, his, he wasn't a black-maned lion. He was a golden-maned lion. There is a distinction. I don't know if you know that. There are black-maned lion, then there's golden-maned lion. This lion had a golden mane. And the wind was blowing through his mane, and he must have just been to a hairdresser or something because <laughs> it looked all teased up. It looked like it had just been cleaned. You know, sometimes we have better hair days than others. But it was just blowing in the breeze, and it looked like the, what you would see the scene of one of those Midwest wheat fields where the wind's just blowing across the field. That's what his mane looked like. I mean, he, he, he decked out for this trip, you know, um, out there with his sweetheart. And the, the wind was just blowing through his mane, and he was just lying there. And my, we were all in this tour van right there with this pop-up top so that you can stand up and look out. It was Our family had gone out in this tour van, and, and um, it was just the most majestic, beautiful thing that I'd ever seen, lying out there like that powerful, you know, but he was completely at peace and at rest. And my brother got there, and he's like, he started doing his hands up and down like this. Huh. <gasps> making a noise like this and this. He's doing his hands up and down. Well, the first hint was the fact that that ear just kind of turned just a little bit like that. And folks, it was all good. I mean, we were at peace. It's just a wide open plain. There's just a, a, a tree right there where they were lying in the shade and then those two lions, nothing else around us. And all of a sudden, it just must have hit the boiling point or something. And all I know is that restful, peaceful lion just jumped up, only halfway up, but he jumped and turned and went... Ah! bet that sounded good on tape <laughs> but let me tell you that beautiful peaceful animal just became a, a terrifying beast it forever changed my perspective of a lion because all of a sudden I realized all it took was a decision on the part of that lion that lion could have been in that vehicle with us and we had no defense against it we had no gun. We couldn't have got the top closed quick enough. We couldn't have gotten away quick enough. He would have been with us. And he just, he's the king of the jungle. No, God's king of the jungle. But he let us know who was boss in that situation. He was tolerating us. and We were on his turf. 
I don't know how many of you, have you ever been up to the Museum of Natural History up in D.C.? Have you ever seen the, the lions up there? Have you ever seen those stuffed lions? I remember going in there and seeing those lions. I thought, that's not the lion I remember because I've had a different kind of encounter. But folks, I just want to tell you something. One of the reasons why the Lord is not revered the way he should be revered is because the body of Christ at large has taken religion and cloaked it in the skin of a lion and said, this is what God is. We're going to teach you academically about what God is and make him into some type of form or formula and just going to show you that's, that's God. That's not God. That's man's representation of what God is. Just because it's got a skin of a lion on it doesn't mean that that thing up in, I mean, you can still see the teeth and you can see kind of what a lion looks like, but the lion's in the life. There's a dynamic to his name. There's a reality to the experience. And when you have an encounter with that lion, when you have an encounter with the Almighty, there's a whole other dimension to your relationship, a whole other level of respect, a whole other volumes of truth that you can tell about him. And you can make him alive to people. The enemy wants to draw us back and make us think that we don't have a testimony. We don't know what to say. What staff has God put in your hand? It may seem insignificant, but let me tell you, go back to the place where God has used you. Go back to the revelation that he's shown you. Go back to the experiences that you've had in your life and recount those stories. Tell those stories to the people you come in contact with and God will empower them once again. I don't like the idea of it turning into a serpent unless it's a God kind of serpent. But God will take those things and invigorate them again and there will be an anointing on them again and God will use them again. And the Spirit of the Lord is... I don't want to take away from that except to say this. Just like Moses striking the rock where he wasn't supposed to strike the rock, he got angry and he tried to utilize the anointing and the testimony of the Lord for his own good. But it turned to his destruction. There's a lot of people that try to use God's anointing for their own promotion, for their own purposes. That lion doesn't take it lightly. You're in his turf. Respect the name of the Lord. Don't abuse the name of the Lord. Last week I said if we're going to take, bear, carry the name of the Lord, if we're going to be his people, then let's be his people and let's represent him well. Please don't take a message like this and, and be fearful about maybe I'm going to misrepresent him well. You know what's really interesting to me and somebody spoke to me about this? They said, did you know that you you can't, this is going to sound really strange, that you, you, you can't surprise God, you can't disappoint God because he already knows what you're going to do. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. Are there things that we do that aren't pleasing to God? Surely. But did you know that when we mess up, God's not surprised by it? I thought about that, I thought, that is really amazing. Do you realize when God gives you an opportunity to do something and you blew, blew it, he knew you were going to blow it, but he still gave you the opportunity? Why, Ben? Why would he do that? Why would he give you an opportunity for you to see the potential of what he could accomplish through you, knowing that maybe you would step back out of fear or anxiety or a sense of unwillingness or something like that, you would pull back from it, but yet he still gave you the opportunity. He still spoke it into your spirit. You know why? Because he's confident that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He opened your eyes to see something that maybe physically you weren't willing to walk through, but he wanted to put that seed in your spirit. It may not have been that day that you were willing to fulfill it, but God's pulling you into a deeper place. He knows he's got more for you, and he's saying, come walk with me. I've got things I want to show you, folks, but God needs people who are willing to step beyond. Let's not be stuffed lions. Let's not portray God in that kind of way. 
so why do we have to endure storms? Why? Why does God allow these things to happen? It's very easy to talk about a storm because we've just been, been through one. Some places they're still going through it. We look like we're taking a little bit of a break out here. Why does God allow storms? I'd love to say that you're never going to have a storm in your life. I would love to be able to tell you, you will never have to endure a hardship. I would love to be able to say, because there's a, a place in my heart that would like to alleviate all pain and all difficulty and, and all those things from people's lives, to take it completely away. But I can't tell you it's going to be a reality. I can't tell you you're not going to lose a loved one. I can't tell you that financially there might not be a difficult time. I can't tell you that there, that there might not be a, 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 a physical something that your body's going to have to go through or that you will endure. I don't want to crush people's theology in that, but I can tell you this. Our response to the storm that we're facing will determine whether or not we grow or we don't. Okay, the storm, when I was talking to the Lord about this, the Lord spoke to me and said, there are things that you can learn in a storm that you would never learn outside. It's not that you couldn't learn it outside, but the, the earnestness, the pursuit may not be there. I'm just going to watch TV. I'm going to sit around and do nothing. No, I've got to get out there and board my house. I've got to trust the Lord to, to help bring me through this thing. And we become very earnest and sincere because the pressing, the weightiness of what's going on around us and we pursue the Lord. Is the Lord still available to us outside of the storm? He's just as available outside of the storm as He has in the storm. But sometimes we walk through the storm and it's in the storm that we discover that aspect of Him that maybe we were ignoring or, or weren't paying attention to before and God's able to say, look, You've missed it all this time, but I want you to see that I'm the Lord, your banner. I'm the Lord Shama. I'm the God who's there in the middle of the storm. When the enemy comes in like a flood, he'll raise up a standard against him. And we discover exactly what kind of God we serve. I'm getting ready to make a statement, and I'm not referring to my sermon. So don't get excited, okay? I'm running out of time. Um, and I'm not upset about that. I'm running out of time, okay? Now I'm going to explain myself. I had an encounter with God two nights ago. It didn't start out very spiritual. I couldn't sleep, so I, I turned on and watched something on on Netflix or something like that and then afterwards I just couldn't couldn't rest I couldn't it wasn't that I was not restful I just I couldn't sleep and so I just ended up lying on the floor and uh, I started talking to the Lord there was nobody else there there were no lights on nothing to distract me nothing to take away time and I just I didn't go to bed till about 3.30 in the morning my body has been weary since that time, but I wouldn't take anything for it because I had an experience with God. And I felt like God refocused some things in my life. I thank the Lord for God's grace in that. I'm 52 years old. He's a young whippersnapper, okay? 52 years old. But you know what stuck out to me what God put in my heart? I remember lying on the floor in that, that little prayer room over there and talking to God and getting out a piece of paper. And I remember trying to do the math in my head. And, and I've shared this with you before, but God spoke to me about winning souls. You know, our focus is, uh, is not just supposed to be getting people saved and getting them to say some words and then moving on to the next person. Our focus is supposed to be making disciples. What does that mean? Because disciples is a, follow, is, a, is, a, is a church word. It's familiar to us. But we're making followers of Jesus. People who are starting to pattern their lives after his life. They're living his life on his behalf here in the earth. They're his representatives. They're doing the things of God. 
They're speaking the words of God. They're being anointed ones in the earth to fulfill His purposes. And I remember feeling that challenge about discipleship years ago and lying on the floor and the Lord's just, and I'd heard this before, but I just wanted to map it out. And so I I said, you know, if I win one person to the Lord and disciple them for a year, at the end of the year, there's two of us. And I want to disciple that person in such a way that that they can turn around and take the very tools that I've given them, the very lessons that I've given them, the very instruction and guidance that I've given them. And folks, it's not about the letter. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about an intimacy of relationship. If you have to walk away with someone and they cannot sustain that relationship without you being there, you may just be inoculating them to the gospel. They've got to have a life with God. They've got to have an intimacy with Him. So it's got to be something that can be perpetuated. But to disciple that person for a year and give them core truths, core values, core things that will help be tools in the toolbox that will sustain them for the rest of their life and that they can stand at the end of a year and be able to turn around and do exactly the same thing for somebody else and disciple someone for a whole year. And so at the end of one year, there's two people. And then the two of us turn around and each embrace someone else for the next year and we nurture that next person for a whole nother year so that at the end of the second year there's there's four of us that are serving the Lord and with a passion and a relationship with God and there's enough core truth inside that they can turn around and the following year that the four of us turn around and nurture four more and so at the end of that year there's eight and it just continues to double itself every year after year after year and I remember the thing that, that stood out to me and understanding we're not just making churchy people, but we're making people of God. We're not just making a form of a lion, but we're, we're introducing people to the lion so they've got an experience with him. I'm going to pull back and just, just say this. When I, when I multiplied it out and went 36 years down the road and just doing the math, I tried to lay it out on the page and it got to where the numbers and the page was getting filled up and it got confusing. I ended up getting a calculator out and working it out, just doubling it. And it ended up that within 36 years, there was over 8 billion people discipled. 36 years. In that model, in that model, I would only be responsible for discipling 36 people. The rest of them were discipling other people so you could maintain a relationship with 36. And if they're maintaining people, relationships with the people, they're 35, 34, 30, that at the end of 36 years, over 8 billion people would have been saved. And the simplicity of it struck me back when I went through those numbers. The vastness of it stands out to us like, wow, 8 billion people. The other night, I sat down, and while I was spending time with the Lord, I got out my calculator. If I live to 70, I've got 18 years. When I, when I uh, took my telephone and went 18 years, it says that I have the ability to disciple in that type of way 500,000 524,288. That's a long way from 8 billion. Because time's running out. How can I disciple 524? I can't do that. I can do one. I can do 18. We can teach a principle. few more people doing it at the same time can reach the world. And we're not talking about just telling them the story of Jesus. We're talking about discipling people. We're talking about raising people with a good foundation in the Lord so that they can live a life for the Lord. The Lord spoke to me and said, David, I called you here to make disciples. To make disciples and to make disciplers. God called me to help stir the gifts that are inside of people that have the ability to be able to reach and change lives. 
God's also sending me to other places around the world to be able to do that, folks. From here, <laughs> I may be going to other places and coming back, okay? <laughs> October the 21st, I'm going to, to Colombia, Hirodot, Colombia. Mike's going to go on that trip. Y'all be praying for us. We're going to go speak in a conference in Hirodot, a citywide conference, and we're going to go take the staff that God's given us, the revelation and truth that God has equipped us with, the sling that he put in our hands, and we're going to share that truth and the reality of a living, roaring lion of the tribe of Judah to those people in that place. Folks, they've got their own staff, they've got their own sling, they've got their own revelation, but the complementary aspect of the body as Christ is that we, we nurture and strengthen one another. God intends to do great things. That word great somehow seems so diminished. God intends to do awesome and mighty things just as much through your life as anyone else. But God spoke to me. And I'm going to tell you this, and this is very frank and very plain. Oh, God said, David, stop playing games with people that just want to play church. We need to make a decision. Are we serious about this relationship with God? Are we just playing church? We shouldn't be changing diapers on people that need to be able to get up and clean themselves up. Shake yourself off. Let's move on. It's time for us to mature in the Lord and be the people that God's called us to be. Are we just looking for God to meet our needs, to make our life comfortable, to help alleviate the struggles and the stresses and the strains, and just, get, I just want to get by, I want things to be easy? Or are we those who run into the storm because we know that we can save some? We can deliver people from the adversity. We've got a truth that, that sustains us in the middle of the storm because we are the standard bearers. We're the one who have the testimony on the inside. We've got the staff of the Lord in our hand. We are the ones that God sends us into that place with the answer so that other people can know that he's real and he's alive. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I'll raise up a standard against him. But he's sending a people and we're the people. That's what God wants it to be. So, folks, God wants us to grow up. Get your legs firmly planted underneath you because you've got that kind of experience with the Lord. If you don't, have that experience maybe you need to give up some time on some things that are taking your time it may be staying up at night when you need to be sleeping or you feel like you need to be sleeping or getting on your face when you've got other things that are, are there to entertain you have an experience with the almighty that changed your life next month will mark 10 years from when i was diagnosed with colon cancer I didn't know how close to death I was. Some of you look at colon cancer and say, well, colon cancer is just kind of a light thing. That's an easy one to treat. Depends on how far you go with it. I got to where I could only, walking from my car to the house, I was so exhausted I'd have to lie down because I was just so, so out of breath and so out of strength. And that's, it was a foreign thing to me, but either because of the male mindset and not going to the doctor when... I needed to go to the doctor. The other side of it was financial. We didn't have enough money for us to afford putting food on the table and gas for the car and for me to go to the doctor. So I held off and almost lost my life for it. November will be 10 years from when I had surgery to get that thing out of my body. And I thank the Lord for 10 years of life. where he extended my days. I could have been gone, Glenda. I could have been God, but God kept me here with a purpose. God's just been stirring that up on the inside of me. I, the last 10 years has not been a wasted 10 years. It's been a, a retooling and an equipping and a learning and a developing and a stretching and learning how to understand people in a different way so that God can bring all this back together. But it's time to get serious about the call of God on my life and doing the things that God's called me to do. So I've got to walk this journey, folks. I, 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 need to, 
are you willing to walk with me? You've all got your own journeys. You've all got your things that I'm not perfect in it. Just like you, you see, I say 48 when I'm supposed to say 148. I'm not perfect, but I'm intending and I'm intentional with regards to the call of the Lord. So let's grow together. Let's get some things done for the Lord. Let's see some people set free, not just a name that we can check off the box. Yes, we heard them pray the prayer, but let's give them roots in the faith. Let's give them roots so that it can be a mighty tree, an oak of righteousness, a mighty testimony of the purpose and plan of God in their life, that they can be a fruitful tree that other people can draw from what they've been blessed with. Let's go there together. Let's bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to find another tissue in the meantime. Can we stand together? Let's do that. Let's reverence the Lord. I, I, I need to say something else. Just an exhortation, an encouragement in this. Look, I, I know that we, we can become very familiar with church and we can become very familiar with God and we can come, sometimes we jest a lot. And I just want to say this. Ever since I was a teenager, I've been passionate for the body of Christ in a sense that, that there's so much more that God desires for His body. And that the body of Christ, I'm talking about that real body of Christ, that that's a, a very holy and precious thing to the Lord, Okay. If I heard somebody speaking in a harsh way against my wife, if I heard somebody ridiculing her or making fun of her or mocking her, I would step in and do something about it. I would not tolerate that because she's precious to me. But folks, we need to be careful about how we say the name of the Lord and how we speak about the Lord and we need to be careful about how we talk about His body. Uh, you know, I am very well aware that the body of Christ has got a lot of things that need to be straightened out and there's a lot of things that are done in churches that aren't right. And, and I mean, I've, I've wept before the Lord because of things that I've seen and whether it was leadership or, or denominations or... People within the churches, I've wept because of the, the fact that God's name was being slandered because of the behavior of people in churches. But folks, let's reverence the body of Christ. Let's not... I've heard in the last few weeks things where the name of the Lord was used or where the body of Christ was jokingly maligned publicly. Jokingly maligned publicly. But it has an impact on the testimony of the Lord. It has a, hear me now. It has an impact on the testimony of the Lord when we talk bad about God's people, even though they're not perfect. When we talk bad about God's church. It's not perfect, but we need to work on it. Okay, and we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, that you are a roaring lion. God, that you are a mighty God. There's power and might in you that... No weapon that the enemy could ever bring against us or no, no force or no uh, contrived conspiracy against us can ever destroy your Lord. And, and with one swipe, dear God, with one leap, you can completely demolish every, every attack of the enemy and everything that the enemy tries to do because you're that mighty God. And Lord, while we reverence you, dear Lord, we also recognize that you are a lion that we can come like a lamb and cuddle up against because we know that your intention towards us is not to harm us, as long as we reverence and respect you, dear God. God, I want us to be your people, dear Lord. Lord, help us to take seriously the calling, dear Lord, and, and what you've placed inside of us, dear Lord, and learn to cherish that and value that. And God, that we would be a people who carry your standard before this community and before our families, dear God, and before this nation. Lord, I pray that you would erode away every a part of our identity that's attached to that old man and that old experience and those old habit patterns and every old appetite and everything that would try to drag us back into that old perspective.
But God, that we would step into a new reality knowing that we are people of God, called with purpose, anointed your God, and that we would be standard bearers before you by sharing our testimony to your Lord and living a different kind of way. But God, that testimony, your word you said was so powerful, but just, a, just one word would destroy the enemy. So God, I pray that you would work through us to do it, that we would be effective for your kingdom and that your kingdom would advance in this earth. And God, we'll give you the glory for it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in me just as it's done in heaven. And God, to you, we'll give all the praise and all the glory forever and ever. Amen. And amen. May the Lord richly bless you. Go be the people. Amen.